greatest single season turnaround in NBA history is complete. Banner number 17, soon to be raised to the Raptors. This is the Celtics pregame show with Patrick Gilroy and Jeff Hickman on ESPN New Hampshire. Well, if nothing else, I hate to disappoint. It's Jeff Hickman without Patrick Gilroy here on ESPN New Hampshire. Thanks for joining us. Hope everybody's having a great day. It's Friday, and uh, that means you're sitting in traffic, hopefully not too long, and uh, your week, hopefully, is also over. But that said, with the holidays coming up, uh, you may be running out this weekend to uh, last-minute shop, and I can assure you that it is uh, the perpetual zoo at uh, both Walmart and Target and the like. Uh, so hopefully you're, uh, you're able to get through that as well. That's almost a full-time job at this point. Uh, the phone number, 603-88... Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did I do? 883-8900? Nah, 9900. 9900. See? This is why Patrick... It, you know, when he's not around, it just throws my whole game off. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I understand he's sort of in a... I don't know what you want to call it, a, a situation here with his furnace going down. And uh, if I know Patrick, whatever hair was left on his head uh, no longer exists because he has uh, successfully pulled it out. Uh, okay, so the Celtics, What you know, that's that's really why we're here, right? That's what we're talking about. So 603-883-9900 is the phone number. Got it that time. How's that? Uh, so... We were talking a little bit on the previous show, and uh, not necessarily with Jimmy directly, but we did. Jimmy and I talked on Wednesday prior to the Celtics game against Orlando, and we discussed kind of where the state of the team might be and what is it about this team that we just haven't seen. I mean, their record is, you know, respectable. They're still third in the Eastern Conference. Um, so what is it about their their play that hasn't excited us as as Celtics fans. And I think the Celtics overall have missed a lot of their key players. Never mind the injury or concussion, whatever you want to call it, to Al Horford. Uh, Isaiah Thomas has been banged up. He's going to miss tonight's game again. Although I'm told he is going to make the road trip. And then you have injuries to Jay Crowder. Somebody that you really don't want to lose on the court for any reason whatsoever. And then you also have a whole bunch of things going on between Kelly Olynyk's shoulder. Everybody's beat up, and it's early in the season. This isn't like an NFL season you know, where you're at the end of it and everybody's got some sort of ailment. This is at the beginning of the season. So the fact that the Celtics are ahead of the 500 mark and the way they played against Orlando, I think as a Celtics fan, you got to feel pretty good. I'm not saying you got to feel great about it, but I think you feel good. And Jimmy Murphy and I were talking about what we wanted to see from this team on Wednesday prior to the game. And one of the things that I said was, I want to see a convincing win. I want to see this team go out and dominate a game. Now, it's not like the Orlando Magic are, you know, the best team in the NBA. This isn't the Golden State Warriors. But the Celtics went out and laid some hurt on them. And that, to me, was something that I needed to see. I needed to see these guys not play down to the level of their competition. And I needed these guys to get a convincing win as a fan for me to sort of buy in. 
And look, I'm a diehard Celtics fan. Of course, I'm going to buy in. But do you know how you can feel when you watch this team play? There's been some Jekyll and Hyde moments. There's been some games where they got up for the Spurs, for instance. It was a great game. They, you know, they were down. They came back. They kept fighting. That's the team that we love. That's the team that this Boston crew has really embodied. They, they are sort of the gutsy, gritty, hardworking, dirt dog basketball team that we have come to love. Now, granted. They haven't won a playoff series yet under Brad Stevens, nor with this roster. So there are things that need to get better. But you got to look for those things. And those things, I thought, showed themselves on Wednesday night in Orlando. So you had Jay Crowder had a double-double. Again, there's a player that you probably missed while he was injured. Al Horford who it doesn't have to be a phenomenal performance. He he was flirting with a triple-double. I think he had 10 points, uh, eight assists, and I, I six rebounds or somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, played, played the game very well. But he didn't have to be the only source for offense. Avery Bradley was spectacular. Terry Rozier was phenomenal off the bench, as was Jalen Brown, for that matter. It, these are the kinds of guys that are going to have to step up if the Celtics plan on winning a lot of games, I can tell you that for sure. But that begs an even bigger question, and we're going to see it tonight, full frontal, so to speak. We are going to see what the Boston Celtics are made of as they go against a team that some people would argue is one of the better teams in the NBA, and some would argue that they are Choke artists, but let's face it, they're an Eastern Conference final type team. They got their butts handed to them, but they're a good team. And this is the Toronto Raptors. Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Jonas Valanciunas. This is this is a tough Toronto squad. And they play hard. And historically, the Celtics have held serve with Toronto. But with no Isaiah Thomas, you now have Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley in the backcourt to deal with their phenomenal backcourt, which is quite obvious. And, well, let's face it, their backcourt is two all-stars. Kyle Lowry is a phenomenal player, and DeMar DeRozan is an excellent player as well. And you now have two of the best defenders on the team in Marcus Smart, and Avery Bradley playing those backcourt positions. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they defend the Raptors tonight. The concern I have will be how can Al Horford deal with Valanciunas down low on the block? Valanciunas is a strong guy. His game reminds me a lot of Marcin Gortat, um, and, and I think they play similar, you know, tough, kind of wide body. They'll muscle their way through. They'll use their elbows to get to the rack. Al Horford is not really designed for that kind of play, but when he does fight back, he is strong enough to do it. The question is, will he assert himself to do that? Thing that you know, after having watched now, however many games we are in here, uh, having watched Al Horford play 
on a night in night out basis cuz obviously I saw him play in Atlanta and you know he was he was great but having watched him play for the team that I enjoy watching the most and watching him on a more regular basis the thing that I like about Al Horford's game is a lot of those fundamental things that we haven't seen at the position since Kevin Garnett was traded you know here you have a guy who knows how to set a pick you have a guy that knows how to play the pick and roll and obviously knows how to pass the basketball because he's got eight assists under his belt last game. That's important. And I think people are underestimating what this guy can do. But that said, I don't think Al Horford and Isaiah Thomas are enough to get this team anywhere in the playoffs. And I hate to be the the bearer of bad news. I hate to be Debbie Downer. But... This team has played really hard, really aggressively over the last few games. They had a real dominant performance on Wednesday, and yet I feel like we have nothing to show for it uh, from Boston land where we expect big wins, we expect championships. This team seems to be the same team that they've always been. And I don't want to take anything away from Al Horford, but I guess what my point is, do you really feel like the signing of Al Horford at this mass contract and the play of a very good young point guard in Isaiah Thomas, do you think that this team is good enough to get past the first round? Because if they're not above the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference, I would argue that I don't think they can. And that's... That's a very difficult pill to swallow as a Celtics fan. They have a lot of work to do. And look, I, I know that the, the, the fireworks that, that Wick Rousebeck talked about, everybody's been talking about that now for three years. Al Horford was your firework. It was like one lonely firework that people thought was going to entertain and explode into 8 million different fireworks with different colors, and th- that didn't happen. It was one. It was like a Roman candle that you shot off when you were like eight years old on the street. That's all we got. And Danny Ainge has made some brilliant moves in the past. And so if there was something up his sleeve, he's got about a month and a half to do it. Because the the trade deadline in February is going to be wild unless... Danny Ainge says, this team isn't going anywhere. And at that point, what have we done? What have we accomplished? So your thoughts, 603-883-9900, ESPN New Hampshire. It's the Celtics pregame show, the Celtics tonight, taking on the Toronto Raptors. We'll take you up till 730, uh, and that should be interesting. Granny and Max will have the call of the game. Uh, are we covering the game tonight or no? Uh, oh, yes. Okay, good. Yes, no, this, no more high school uh, stuff on Friday nights. There we go. There I, we go. I wanted to add, though, I, I uh, recorded earlier today and used a little piece on one of the earlier shows, uh, Ainge's conference call, which, you know, for, for the last year has been nothing but still, what are you doing with the picks? What are you doing with all the assets? Now the big thing to talk about is flopping and Marcus Smart flopping. And I thought maybe we could listen to a quick 29 seconds of sure. Danny Fresh on an old topic, flopping. 
concept of flopping, you know, the way that it's worded, it's, you know, embellishing an act, which, I mean, I could point to 10 flops every single NBA game. And I'm not trying to defend Marcus. I mean, we know that Marcus does flop, but um, the best the best players flop. They, they they draw attention. We saw with James Harden the other night. I mean, he draw he drives into the lane and he throws his arms up in the air and flails and jumps into the defender and he goes to the free throw line all night. And Danny used to skid. I mean, when he went down in short shorts, he not only flopped, he he got a little distance on the wax parquet. Hey, listen, I mean, they're asking the wrong guy first and foremost when it comes to flopping. I mean, Danny Ainge was one of the best at it and did it pretty regularly. Now, that said, I think that there is, he says in this clip that you just played, he said, you know, the, the, the best players flop. Um, and I think there is a lot of truth to that. But what really do, gets under my skin is when a guy like, for instance, LeBron James. I've never seen a person flop the way LeBron James flops. I mean, it's not even a. It, it's not even like he's trying to really sell it. it it's like it, I, it. It looks like somebody hit him with the force from Star Wars. You know, it, it, he he get bumped on the the side and he flails himself and flies into the crowd. I mean, it's come on. I mean, that is to me. That is a ridiculous flop. I think the small flops that you see, I don't know. I, I guess I don't. I can't say that I really have an issue with it because it, I think every player tries to sell it. Mm-hmm. it to me, it's the oversell that is more. Because I, I think the definition of a flop can sort of be personal, right? I mean, we we watch the game together, and I see a guy you know take a charge, and he flies back, but that's. That technically is a flop. Sure. He's trying to draw attention to the play. And at the same time, I see what LeBron James does where, you know, a guy lifts his arm up with the ball in his hand and and LeBron James acts like he just got a, you know, a bloody nose and he falls to the ground and he holds his head and and he never got hit when you look at the replay. That to me is a flop. The only guys that I ever thought could make an exaggerated motion, just not the flop. We're bigger guys like LeBron. In other words, a guy like Shaq was getting fouled all the time, but because he was so much bigger and stronger, what, I have to kill Shaq in order to foul him? So yeah. I didn't mind if, if Shaq or some other big man really gave the, ugh, and threw the shoulder up in the air and all that, because it wasn't getting called. The, the six inches in height and 80 pounds means you're not being given the benefit of the vow, of the out when it came to physical contact but when you see LeBron get hit by a guy who's so tiny you know it just my argument to the flop if he's fighting with other big men and flops he flops when little guys hit him see this is this is where if I'm running the league and God knows I'm not running the league okay but if I were to make a suggestion about what works in terms of getting guys to stop doing this, my opinion is they should just let these guys go at it. I mean, don't call ticky-tack fouls, which is what they're doing. And the reason that they're calling these ticky-tack fouls is because now guys realize that they can get to the free-throw line by selling these stupid plays that don't really or are completely insignificant to what's going on. So my thought is you look at the old games when – you know, 
Parrish and, and Lambeer would go to the floor. You're not seeing that today because, gosh, you know, two guys look at each other the wrong way and the refs come running down and they're getting the way. And it was all exacerbated, exacerbated by what went on in Detroit or Palace at Auburn Hills, uh, quite a few years back. And now it's like, well, we don't want that to happen. So we have to do this and this. Look, you want to have some fun? Let these guys just go at it. Let them foul hard. You can give them their flagrant after the fact. Maybe the guy gets up and wants to knock the guy out. Let him do it. It's more exciting for the fans. It's more exciting to watch. And you'll get less flopping. I think flopping has become a bigger issue now because of the fact that they call these stupid fouls for no real. I mean, just stupid. And now guys are like, well, that's great. If if, if he got called for this, I'm going to try this and I'm going to do this. They, they completely readjust their game to try to get foul calls. And that, to me, is why the, the degradation of the, the, the yep. flop has come into play. I think why it was put in is the decades of incessant whining. There is a point where the officials have this release valve, which is calling flopping, because you know how many thousands of times could you be out there on the court listening to Will Chamberlain or Bob Lanier whine at you. And Bob had a streak of all 900 games he never fouled out. And Wilt literally never did. Yet, so go solve your own problems. Hit hit whoever it is back. But, no, running up and down the court and then during the you know foul shot timeouts, just standing there whining. So now they've been given their whine, which is, we'll call all this ticky-tack crap. We'll call, and the, and, the and game, that way you won't whine at me all day. The game has to be physical. And look, I mean, this is men. This is men out there playing, guys. These are grown men, athletes in the best shape of their lives. It's going to have to be physical. That's just the name of the game. And I'm not saying that these guys should be able to haul off and punch each other without retribution or without some sort of punitive uh, situation after the fact, but the bottom line is, if a guy goes up to get in, a, you know, a layup, and somebody accidentally bumps his hip, and they give him two points and a free throw, these guys are going to sell it every single time. They're tr- you hear it all the time in the broadcast. He's trying to draw contact. He's trying to draw contact. Yeah, he's trying to draw contact, and the, and the point is, it do- it takes a minimal amount of contact for this guy to get two shots or three free throws because he's behind the line. That's what has hurt the game, I think, in my opinion. They don't let these guys play anymore. And it's even worse in the playoffs than it used to be. You know, in the playoffs, they kind of let them go. I don't feel like they even do that anymore. The games take too long. Now you've got replay instituted. So I think overall, the game has become soft in that respect. And you can see where the natural inclination in playoffs in any sport would be. I don't want my officiating to make the decision here to determine game five of something. Right. So whether it's hockey, baseball, or this game of basketball we're talking about tonight, yeah, let them go. And that's traditionally happened. So you can mud people in hockey games come May. Baseball, it's all the phantom. Uh, the ball was thrown to second. Did he actually step on the back? Who cares? We're, we're not making the call that decided 10.30 some night, game five of the ALCS. Well, the NBA, you're right. They used to the playoff basketball was something different. 
for the amount I watch it the last two years anyway, it's not. Every league has their own problems with this. It just is sort of at a different angle. You know, for instance, with football, they've made the game really soft because you can't hit anybody and the way you hit them and you know you can't touch the quarterback you can't touch the kicker you can't so pretty soon they're just not even going to be able to hit each other at all and we'll just be watching them run alongside each other trying to catch the damn thing you know but what i'm afraid of basketball doing is becoming soccer you know you if you want to watch a guy flop let's talk about flopping that is major league soccer holy hell i mean these guys these guys will sell it so much so that they're they're rolling on the ground, writhing in pain, and they never got touched. I mean, that, to me, that's just it's it's asinine, and it takes away from the game. So my hope is that basketball will recognize this. I know that they were going to institute or did institute the flopping fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that these guys really care. They're making enough money where you know twenty thousand dollars is you know they they blew that on you know. Uh, uh, champagne the night before at the strip club they don't care that twenty thousand dollars came out of their account right they just they don't even see it um so i don't think that's enough of a penalty i i think that if you're going to penalize it guys are still going to try to get away with it i think you have to just let guys get flopped right down to the ground and let the guy run right by him or right over him. You know, if LeBron wants to throw himself on the ground and act like he just got picked up and thrown by a ghost, well, do it, but just realize you just got out of the way of the defender and the defender can keep going. They're not going to stop the game. They're not going to blow the whistle. They're going to let that guy go. So now you've hurt yourself, you've hurt your team, and you're not going to win games that way. That's the way I think they should be handling it, but... You know, who am I? Before we take uh, your first break, and you've brought it back to the real topic, basketball, I am so glad you brought up the soccer. Because it was through genuine friendship up here. Two guys, all spring and summer long, came over from the Seacoast. Seacoast United, who they're involved with soccer. And did a soccer show. I said, you know, I'm going to give this another shot. I haven't watched it for years. Because I find sporting events that wind up nil-nil or one-nothing... Boring if it took 90 minutes to get to nil-nil. And I just couldn't. I watched people carried off on stretchers who re-entered the game 33 seconds later. So at least they should have a rule that if they physically put you on a stretcher, uh, don't play the rest of that half? I don't know. Something. And... uh, (laughs) <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, and we see that in football, too. You know, with the uh, end of the game, the defense is getting tired. One of the guys will pretend like he's cramped out, and then he has to come out. I mean, you know, it, this isn't this isn't exclusive to the NBA, but I think in the NBA it can be very egregious because there's no mask, there's no equipment. This is two guys, mano a mano. You can watch the replay pretty quickly and see what actually happened. And, uh, frankly, I think it looks foolish. I think the guys that flop, they look they look wimpy and foolish, and LeBron's the best player in the league. I don't dispute that. He's he's the king, but act like it. Act like you've been there. All right, here's the phone number, 603-883-9900. Your thoughts on the Celtics playing Toronto tonight, and uh, we're talking flopping. We're talking all things NBA, so feel free to join us. I'm Jeff Hickman. This is the pregame show to the Boston Celtics ESPN New Hampshire. Listening to Manchester's home of the Boston Celtics. It's ESPN New Hampshire. This is the home of the best sports fans of the country. It's twelve fifty Manchester and ESPN New Hampshire. 
All right, welcome back. Celtic pregame show. I'm Jeff Hickman. We'll take you up till 7.30. Boston Celtics have a little game going on tonight against the Toronto Raptors, a team ahead of them in the standings in the Eastern Conference by a couple of games. They've got 15 wins while the Celtics sit at 13-9. and nine. Third place in the Eastern Conference, a spot that obviously we are happy as fans to, to see. But the Celtics obviously are in a kind of a tough situation in terms of who's above them in the conference. And I think, obviously, of the two, Cleveland and Toronto, Cleveland is by far the better team and is probably the team to beat in the NBA, with the exception of the Warriors. But even the Warriors might be not considered the team to beat after Cleveland is the defending champions. But aren't things working out normally? In other words, you went to Orlando, you probably should have your largest margin of victory so far this year in a game against Orlando. Yeah, And they did. There's your 30-pointer right there. But the problem has been, Tim, is that they're not... They're not playing like that when they should be against certain teams. Okay. I mean, you look at what they've done this year. It, some of those games, like the games they played against Brooklyn. Oh, you know, it, oh, yeah, it, I saw one. And, oh, it's it's brutal. And so you know, they've pulled some of them out, but it's just kind of it doesn't give you a whole hell of a lot of confidence. I think that this is a a good team. I don't think it's a great team, and I think that fans probably feel the same way. They're not garnering a whole hell of a lot of the the interest right now among sports fans in Boston because, look, the Red Sox just traded for Chris Sale, and the Patriots are always high up on the list. I I think the Celtics right now are probably fourth on the totem pole in terms of interest in in this state, in this region. And that's okay, except that we all had hopes the fans of the Celtics, Celtic Nation, the Green Teamers, as they've been called, they all had a lot of hope that this team would be better than it is because of the addition of Al Horford. And we've talked about this ad nauseum on this show and others. I don't think this team is that much better for it. I don't think that this team is that much better for having Al Horford. Would I rather not have him? No. No, that's not the case. But I think what you do see in this team is you don't have a lot of really good ball handlers on this team. And despite the fact that they're overloaded at the guard position, watch the handling of the basketball. You you, you know, Marcus Smart, yeah, okay. Avery Bradley, yeah, I don't know. And Isaiah Thomas is a pretty good ball handler. He can do what he's got to do. This team... I'll I'll say it again. I said it before the season started, and I'll say it again now. This team misses Evan Turner. They miss a guy that was versatile and could do those things, defend multiple positions, and pass the basketball. When he was on the floor playing their point guard, albeit from the forward spot, they were a pretty darn good team. And yet, for some reason, some team wanted to pay him some ridiculous amount of money out in Portland, and so it goes. But this team needs some ball-handling wings. You can't depend on Jalen Brown for that, and God knows you can't depend on Jay Crowder for it. Listen, I love Jay Crowder for all the things that he does, but I get nervous when guys like Jay Crowder, Kelly Olynyk, even Avery Bradley to a certain extent, 
When these guys start trying to do the fancy schmancy dribbling and getting by guys, you're not Russell Westbrook. That that's just not going to happen. And yet, there really is nobody else to do that job, unless it's Isaiah Thomas. So, I think that this team lacks some very fundamental skills outside of their superstars. And I even saw today on Celtics blog that they were questioning whether or not you would put Al Horford or Isaiah Thomas in that category. Would you consider them superstars? I don't know that I can say yes. I know that Isaiah Thomas puts up pretty good numbers for a guy his size, and he's playing on a on a, a very good team, and he's their leader. There's I don't think there's any question about that. I think he's a guy that they he his energy is infectious and I think that he brings a lot to the table every single night. Frankly, he embodies everything that I think makes a Celtic great. And I mean that. I love Isaiah Thomas, but I, I don't I don't know that I would consider him a superstar. And I'm not really sure what defines superstar. Would you consider DeMar DeRozan a superstar? I think you have to put him in that list. I think Kyle Lowry, when he's right, is in that list. Kyle Lowry is a kind of an enigma to me because he's he's got a lot of talent, but it seems to me like he might be a little bit off in his head somewhere. You know how like in the NFL wide receivers, there there's diva wide receivers, you know, those those Terrell Owens types kind of come to mind. I think point guards in the NBA can be the same way. You know, you look at guys like Kyle Lowry, Rajon Rondo, and he's having problems again over there in, in Chicago. Putting up very similar numbers to the way that he did here in Boston, but he's also, you know, getting PO'd at the guys, uh, the trainers, and, you know, at least he didn't Blake Griffin the guy and punch him in the face. But... We heard the horror stories about Rajon Rondo here. I think that some point guards have a little bit of diva to them, and I think Isaiah Thomas is no exception. That said, I think he loves being a Celtic. I think he loves being here and being featured as a player here. I think he's longed for that respect. I think he's longed for that attention. He didn't get it in Sacramento, and he certainly wasn't getting it in Phoenix. I think he came to Boston and the fans went nuts for him. And I think he felt that he really was a big piece of what they're doing here. And I think Al Horford saw what many of us see every single time we go to a sporting event in a in a New England or Boston area. We have very passionate fans. And he wasn't used to that in Atlanta because you could go into Atlanta even during a playoff game and probably still hear somebody's cell phone going off in the middle of the game. That's just the way it is there. But when you come here, it's it's about more. It's about winning. It's about tradition. There, there are a lot of things here that the Celtics really bring to the table that no other team can, unless you're playing for the Lakers. And I guess now the question being, are these guys good enough to get to the second round? Are we wasting the careers of Al Horford? 
and Isaiah Thomas. Do we know that we can't get there? Is Jalen Brown going to be ready in the next two years to make a significant impact? Some would argue he's made an impact this year. I, I don't really see it. I don't love his game right now. I think there are certain things that he does very well. But I also think there are some things that he does very poorly. One of those things is shoot. And ironically, heading into the offseason, and many of you may remember, one of the things that uh, the Celtics needed was a strong shooter anywhere on the floor. Anywhere. I mean, we were depending on R.J. Hunter, who they subsequently left behind. But we needed shooting, and we didn't have it. And so they said, well, we need an athletic wing that can shoot the basketball. Because Jay Crowder, he can hit from time to time. He's not a great shooter, but he's an average shooter. I don't get worried when he puts the ball up. But some of his shots are pretty ugly. I'm not going to lie. There have been times when I've said, oh my, how is that possible? But he does so many other things for this team that I can let that go. I mean, I did it with Rajon Rondo. Rajon Rondo was a terrible shooter, unless he was in his rhythm. But for the most part, he was a terrible shooter. He was certainly a horrible free throw shooter. And I could live with it because he did some other things for the team that helped us win. I say us. This is, this is a faux pas in sports talk radio that I will consistently do that will probably drive program directors nuts, general managers nuts. I can't help it. All right? I was bred out of my love for this team. And that just, you know, doesn't go away. But I digress. So if this team is to have any success for the remainder of the season, and if they are going to maintain a top four spot in the Eastern Conference, they're going to need help. And I, we've all heard the same names, the same retreads, DeMarcus Cousins, Gordon Hayward. Frankly, Gordon Hayward would probably be a pretty good fit on this team. And listen, I don't care about his head games. I think DeMarcus Cousins is a stud. And if you could get him, you should get him. But I, get, I just don't see it happening. The, the, the Celtics' assets, they're not really worth as much as they were worth last year. Now, granted, Brooklyn's having a pretty bad season again. I sure hope it stays that way. We can swap picks with them. We have their first-round pick next year. I don't see them getting much better. That's great. But other than that, what assets do we really have at this point? I don't think Jalen Brown is you know, lighting up anybody's uh, trade asset board. I don't think anybody, any GMs in the league are sitting there saying, oh, you got to have this guy. Got to have him. It, that's just not happening. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to chat a little bit about this roster and uh, any potential for this team to get better via trade or via development of players. We want to hear from you. 603-883-9900. I'm Jeff Hickman. It's the Celtics pregame show right here on ESPN. Make sure you check out our half-off deals on ESPNNHradio.com. 
All right, welcome back. Celtic pregame show. Jeff Hickman with you here on ESPN New Hampshire. Phone number 603-883-9900. Talking all things Boston Celtics and all things NBA, so getting your thoughts would be fantastic as the Celtics take on the Toronto Raptors tonight, a team that is slightly ahead of them in the Eastern Conference standings by a couple of games, and obviously the Celtics want to try to capitalize on that tonight and get a win and try to show this team that they can hang with the, the best of the best. I don't know if I consider Toronto the best of the best. I think most of the good teams in the NBA are in the Western Conference. But that said, the reigning champion is in the Eastern Conference, and that's the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, you know, look, I, you can't fault the Cavaliers for doing what they do. They are a good basketball team. They've got a lot of, I don't know what you want to call it, not just raw talent, but they have a lot of guys, a lot of really good role players, guys that know their role on a team. And I remember JoJo White told me one time that the the key to championship success is all about role players. It's not just about the stars. It's about the guys knowing and settling into their roles on a team and knowing who they are for that team. And I... It's it's always proven to be right. You look at the big three in the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen era. You talk about the guys like James Posey, Eddie House, P.J. Brown, Sam Cassell, guys that came in and, and they adjusted who they are to play a very specific role. And I remember specifically Game 7 against Cleveland that year in the playoffs and uh, Paul Pierce and and LeBron, they were going back and forth on each other, and it was a very close game. And I remember P.J. Brown hit some very important shots down the stretch of that game, and he hadn't played much at all in the playoffs that until that point. And he's the kind of guy that the Celtics, to fill out a roster, the Celtics needed to make that team better and to make that team go. They had all the stars they needed. They had three big Hall of Fame caliber players. Rajon Rondo was an all-star in his own right. And Kendrick Perkins, well, Kendrick Perkins was Kendrick Perkins. Kendrick Perkins played a lot better here than he has anywhere else. And the truth is that the trade for Jeff Green, despite the fact that most Celtics fans think that was a, a disaster, it really was a smart move by Danny Ainge at the time because they got much more value for Jeff Green Uh coming in for for a guy like Kendrick Perkins who was expecting a big paycheck and by the way got that big paycheck from the Oklahoma City Thunder and did nothing with it. So hey, can you fault him? I don't know if I can. But Danny has to look at this roster and think to himself, where are the stars to go with these role players? It's the opposite effect here. You're not dealing with three, four all-star caliber players on this team. You're, you're lucky if you're going to get two. I I don't know that you'll get both Al Horford and Isaiah Thomas. You might get one. Frankly, Avery Bradley should be considered an all-star this year, and I, I would be devastated if he didn't make it because he has elevated his game this year. He's the real deal, and we have him at a very good price. All the stars can be aligned, and I don't mean stars in the uh, the sense of players. I mean in the proverbial sense of stars. But everything can align for this basketball team right now. You have a couple of guys at very good contracts. 
I mean, look what you got for Rajon Rondo. Everybody was complaining about what the return was. Jay Crowder is is the engine that makes the motor run for this team. He's everything that this team is. You know, the gritty, tough, you know, goes to the rack with reckless abandon, sometimes to a fault because I think that's why he hurts himself often. But he's a guy that when I watched him play, I knew that he was given everything he had on the court. I love those guys. Isaiah's another one. You know he's given everything he's got. It's not always pretty, but at least he gives you what he has. And he cares about the result. He cares about this community. He cares about being a Celtic. He knows what it means to be a Celtic. You know, it, there are so many players out there, and this is where the, the argument against a DeMarcus Cousins might come into play. Do you think DeMarcus Cousins gives a rat's behind about the tradition of the Boston Celtics and the history of the Celtics? He probably doesn't even know that they've won 17 championships. Do you think he knows about Larry Bird and Robert Parrish and Kevin McHale? Do you think that he knows anything about the days when Johnny Most was calling the games and what he meant to the organization? Yeah, it's, he doesn't know about the garden and what they call the garden today. It's not the garden. Come on. And this is this is where Celtics fans become sort of emotional jello because we can't seem to get past the fact that this team as it's currently constituted, is only going to get so far. There is no championship hopes, right? I mean, as a fan, are you legitimately sitting at home thinking that this team has a shot at making the NBA Finals? I don't. And I love them. I, I'll watch them. I'll watch every game. I watched every game when they lost, you know, 18 games in a row the year before they won the championship. It, 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 I'll watch it. I'm not saying I like it. But that's that's what I guess I don't understand now is people only seem to care for ultimate champions. So as much as I want another banner, you know what I want during my basketball season? I want to be entertained for seven months. And I doesn't mean I settle for mediocrity in a 500 club, but there's some pretty good basketball to be seen the last couple of years. Just more fun under this coach. Just more hustle under this coach. So I'm enjoying my season. And if they don't do what people like you and others are saying on the radio and win a round or two this time, yes, I too would be disappointed. But I also just would like the six or seven months to play out as good basketball. And a lot of people in every town now, uh, whether it's a Milwaukee, which really doesn't seem to be able to rebuild, but also not able to go down and be, you know, a seventy loss team. It's it's just something about well, you know, unless you win it all, it wasn't a good year. I think there were three or four good teams last year, all looking up at Golden State streak. I think if you went to games in Oklahoma City or watched TV somewhere in Oklahoma, you know, you're over in Tulsa and you've got your sports channel south on, I hope you enjoyed the darn season. Those were great teams too. But I, I think your point is, is, is well taken. I, I, I don't disagree. I like the fact that 
at least through this rebuild, we're seeing some competitive basketball. Right. I guess my only my only upset issue, whatever you want to call it, my only my only issue here is that the window of time that you have to make a championship caliber team is limited in that you brought in Al Horford who's got maybe three good years left. Isaiah Thomas is going to expect to get a pretty good paycheck. Young guy in his prime. We've got to make the most of it if we're going to hang on to him. Avery Bradley, same deal. Jay Crowder, same deal. All these guys are in this particular window. Yeah, maybe I see that critical mass as next season and the season after. When you tell me we've used up those assets, when we've, all right, this is what the Brooklyn picks were and we picked them or traded for them. This is the mid-salary exception and we've used it. Then I guess I'm saying, okay, well, you've got to win now because well, this is the end of the project that you built. I mean, I, I think that there are still some things in place for them to make a move that might help the team. Granted, I don't know that Danny Ainge really wants to make any, any big moves. In fact, I just saw come across the, the CSN screen there that, you know, uh, they were talking about a potential move to try to get Andrew Bogut um, because he's falling out of favor in Dallas. Look, Andrew Bogut is a is a fine center, and I think the Celtics could use another big guy that can actually block shots, so I, I'd be in favor for it. The price, on the other hand, I don't know. And frankly, in Dallas, I don't think Mark Cuban really wants to deal much with Danny Ainge because Danny Ainge has done a number on him a couple of times here, uh, particularly with the Rondo trade. We'll talk more about this on the other side. In the meantime, you should think about calling me, 603 603- 883-9900. It's Jeff Hickman. It is the post-game, uh, pre-game show, sorry, of the Boston Celtics ESPN New Hampshire.